If you want to turn your Bibles, we're looking at Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 17. You'll find that on page 686 of your Pew Bibles. That's Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 17. When the Lord came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, My servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And the servant was healed at that very hour. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother, Peter's mother-in-law, lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up, took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. Now, green's always better than red. Uh, my name's Steve. Uh, I'm the communications pastor here at church. Uh, I normally go to church at Saturday night, but uh, I'm glad to be with you here at five o'clock tonight. Uh, it's my uh, hope that um, as we look at God's word tonight, we would be struck by the compassion of Jesus and the authority of Jesus, and that we would be transformed into his likeness. And friends, this is only going to happen if God does a good work in us. So I'm going to ask that God will work in us as his word is preached tonight. Almighty God, your word is a, a lamp into our path and a light into our feet. We don't live on bread alone, but on the words that come from you. And Father, we just pray that you would feed us tonight. Your word is good. 
Perhaps some of us here have been hungry all week. We, we haven't spent much time with you. We've been distant from your word. Father, may this be a time of great refreshment. Father, would you, as you promise, um, not let your word go out empty. Father, may it do a great transforming work in us as we see the compassion and the authority of Jesus. And would you make us more like him, please? Amen. Uh, friends, some time ago I was at university and I studied politics and international relations. And about five years ago, uh, I got to visit this place up here, the United Nations. It's really like for a cricketer getting to visit Lords. It's the place that you've heard so much about and you've always wanted to visit. But as my, my sister and I toured the building, I had this nagging question, a question that I'd had in the back of my mind ever since I'd started studying this topic. And so as we exited in the tour, out of the General Assembly room, I turned to the tour guide and I said, what's the point of the UN? I said, it just seems so impotent, so unable to act in the situations where it so desperately needs to. Now, this perhaps isn't the question that you ask when you're on a tour of the UN, but I was feeling cynical. You know, in the studies that I'd done, there had been so many situations, desperate world situations, where the UN had seemed very well-meaning, but utterly unable to do what it really needed to do. Now, I'll leave you to come to your own conclusions about um, how good or bad the UN might be, but uh, we've all seen this in different aspects of life. We've seen big talk, huge authority that's simply not matched by a big walk. We know people who can talk a big game, but when it comes to following through with the goods, they've got nothing. And in the three chapters before Matthew 8, Jesus has talked a huge game. In 111 verses, we read what's known as the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus speaks some incredible words. He talks like no other as he explains that he, he is the fulfillment of God's law. As he tells his followers that they can address God as Father. As he taught about who will and who won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. And get this, he explains that the very foundation of eternal life in God's kingdom is listening to his words and putting them into practice. Who speaks like that? And then we read at the end of chapter 7 in verse 28, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. But friends, Jesus has got more than just powerful words. He's got the actions to back them up. And not only is he supremely powerful in word and in deed, he is graciously compassionate beyond our understanding. And it's this Jesus that we look at tonight. And as we move our way through this passage, the question I want you to consider is, how will I respond to the compassion and the authority of this Jesus? How will you respond to him? Let's walk through this passage together now. Let's have a look at, at verse 1 of chapter 8. When 
Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, I want you to picture this as an onlooker. What does this man think he's doing? Leprosy, a terrible, terrible disease. And even more than the deformity that it would cause to your body, it was incredibly infectious. There were rules for people who had leprosy. They would have to wear torn clothes and uh, keep their hair long and unkempt. They would cover the front part of their face and cry out, unclean, unclean. They would be forced to live out of uh, community, away from civilization. In fact, their whole lives were driven by the principle that they were to keep away from other people and other people were to keep away from them. And yet here he is, kneeling at the feet of Jesus, close enough to breathe on him. And this man has come to Jesus with one request. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Oh, he wants to be clean. How long must this man have suffered physically, mentally, socially? And he wants to be clean. He wants to be rid of this desperate disease. He knows, did you notice? He knows Jesus has the power to help him. But the question that is in his mind, is Jesus willing? Does Jesus care enough to act? Get away from me, you filthy man. You infectious man. Don't you know that you have a disease that I can catch? Don't come any closer. Is that how Jesus responds to this man? No. Verse 3. Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately he was cured of his leprosy. It's incredible. Was Jesus willing? You bet he was. Did Jesus care? You bet he did. Jesus responds to this man with great compassion. He doesn't reject him. He doesn't turn him away. He doesn't abuse him. He doesn't um, turn him off. In fact, he does something that this man has not experienced in years. He reaches out his hand in an act of human compassion. He touches him. And in that moment, the man is healed. Can you imagine what people, the onlookers, were thinking at this time? He's touching a leper. Doesn't he know that he's writing his own death warrant? But instead of what we expect to happen, instead of Jesus becoming ill, the exact opposite occurs. A reversal of the normal situation as the man becomes well. And as Jesus speaks, this man is cured immediately. This is no long-term, hey, for the next six months, take this dose of medication and you should be okay. He speaks and immediately the man is cured of his leprosy. Oh, can you imagine how this man must have felt? The joy that would have filled his heart. 
And friends, is this not a picture of Psalm 145 in action? You can see it on the screen. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Compassion on all he has made. And in verse 4, we read what Jesus instructed him to do next. Take a look. Jesus said, See that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Jesus instructed this man to go to the priest and make a sacrifice to God in response to this healing. And the reason he was to make a sacrifice to God is because the healing was from God. And as Jesus instructs this man to go out and make a sacrifice, he is signaling to all the people around what you've just seen, this healing, this was God at work among you. What a compassionate act of God it was. Brothers and sisters, I don't know what you think about God as you sit here tonight. But friends, know that our God is a compassionate God. As J.C. Ryle put it, no heart can feel for us as much as Christ's. I don't, maybe you feel like there is no one in this world who really cares at all about you. But be assured, no heart cares for you as much as Christ. When we come to God, we come to a God of great compassion. He loves the people he has made. This is why in 1 Peter we can be called to cast all of our anxieties on him because he cares for us. He cared for this leper and he cares for you and for me. We move on to this next episode. Jesus heals the leper and he goes on now to an encounter, this time with a centurion, probably uh, a soldier from from Syria or Lebanon, one of the the nearby countries. Let's take a look at at verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. Again, we see a man in great desperation. And again, we see the compassion of Jesus and his willingness to heal. But what happens next is staggering. Take a look at verse 8. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and I tell this one, come, and he comes. And I say to this servant, do this, and he does it. Now I've got a confession to make. When I first read this passage, I thought the centurion was being a bit lazy. I thought that this was just an excuse for him to kind of say, look, Jesus, I don't really want you to come back to my place. If you can just kind of heal him from here, it'll save us all a little bit of time, and I can go back to what I was doing. But in the response of Jesus, we see that something far more profound is going on here. And the centurion is responding in a way in which we ought to respond as well. You see, the centurion is an officer in the military. And as he explains, he knows what it's like to be under authority. Anyone in the military knows what it's like to be under authority. You've got people who are your boss, and whatever it is they tell you to do, you do it. 
But he also knows what it's like to be a man in authority. He's got people underneath him, and he can tell them what to do, and no questions asked. They go and do it. And this centurion has recognized two things about Jesus. Two things that people can sit in church for years and not recognize. But two things that are essential in our understanding of who Jesus is and how we respond to him. The first one is this. He recognizes that Jesus is far superior to him. You see that in the start of his response. Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. He recognizes he's dealing with someone altogether different to him. Reminds us of John 1, doesn't it? As John the Baptist describes Jesus as the one whose sandals he is unworthy to untie. Jesus is a man altogether different and separate, superior to him. Have you realized that about Jesus? He is no peer. But secondly, he recognizes that Jesus not only is infinitely superior in stature, he is infinitely superior in authority. And he has the authority to exercise that power over creation. What a, what a recognition in verse 8. Jesus, just say the word and my servant will be healed. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. He knows that Jesus' words have power. By just speaking, Jesus can heal. Whose words have that kind of power? Do your words have that power? Can you wander up to North Shore Hospital and just say, be healed, be healed? No one has that kind of power. No one except Jesus. Oh, the centurion recognizes such truths in Jesus. And Jesus is astonished at this man's faith. Take a look at verse 11. Jesus said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such faith, such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oh, there would have been some in the crowd who, who should have known better. Some who had just expected their inclusion in the kingdom of God. Some who just expected at that last day they would be feasting in that great banquet with all the, the great heroes of the faith. And here is their centurion, a man with far less knowledge than many of those onlookers who got who Jesus was. And he, he teaches us how to respond to Jesus today. In faith, he recognizes the superiority of Jesus. And in faith, he he submits himself to the authority of Jesus. Friends, is this how you respond to Jesus? As, uh, as, as people, we're not big fans of authority, but as Australians, we particularly don't like it. Uh, in fact, as Australians, it's kind of a bit of a pastime to reject authority. We love everyone being equal. You know, we don't like anyone kind of being above us. Uh, 
you know, the Prime Minister goes on Q&A, and what happens? Someone throws a shoe at him. You know, it's kind of typical of how we deal with authority. And typical authority figures within our culture, police, teachers, um, even those who, who serve above us as, as our pastors in the church, um, are often not respected for the authority that they have. But in our culture, there's one occasion where everyone, doesn't matter who you are, submits themselves to authority. And that, friends, is when we visit the airport. No one messes with the guys in airport security. You get up to that line, you shut your mouth, and you do as you're told. They say, take this off. You say, sure, I'll take it off. Put it down, stand there, go there, pick that up, move forward, wait here. You just do as you're told. Going to the airport through that line of airport security, feeling like a criminal, your belt's off, your jacket's off, your shoes are off, and you're trudging through, holding your hands up, doing your, your scan... It's all an exercise in submitting to another who has authority over you. And don't even think about saying something funny because aviation security is no laughing matter. I haven't learned that the hard way. You know, friends, it's clear, isn't it? At the airport, who's in charge? And we do what we're told. But as God speaks to us, one who has infinitely greater authority, the almighty creator, the compassionate sustainer, the one who holds the keys to eternal life, how much more ought this be our response to his authority? The centurion got the authority that Jesus had and his need to submit himself under it. Have you? What does it mean to submit ourselves to the authority of Jesus? Well, at its essence, it's, it's listening to what he says and it's doing it. Jesus says, whoever loves me will do as I say. That's not to suggest at all that obeying Jesus is easy. It's hard. But he gives us grace to follow him. But friends, our response to Jesus when we hear his words is not, oh, that's interesting. When Jesus says, jump, we jump. Or more to the point, when Jesus says, love, we love. When he says, forgive, we forgive. When he says, serve, we serve. When he says, sacrifice, we sacrifice. When he says, submit, we submit. You know, I I preached this sermon last night. And I was just reminded of the difficulty of this even today. You know, I'm on, on Twitter. And, uh occasionally these atheists just kind of follow me on Twitter and what I'm saying basically just to antagonize me and one of them did uh, kind of responded to something sarcastically today about what an idiot I am for being a Christian. And it kind of popped into the box. And uh, I was just like, oh, what's something really sarcastic I could say back? And then the words of Jesus came into my head. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And so I turned it off and I prayed for him. Friends, submitting ourselves to the authority of Jesus is doing what he says. Simply because Jesus has the authority to tell us what to do. Here's how uh, one, one guy, Francis Chan in the States, puts it. 
If I tell my daughter to go clean her room, she knows better than to come back to me later on with her room still messy and say, Dad, I just memorized what you said. Dad, I can say clean your room in Greek. Dad, later this week some friends and I are going to get together. We're going to study what it might look like to clean our rooms. He says, that would never wash with me. I'd say, get back in your room and clean it. And so he asked, why do we think this attitude would wash with God? This isn't easy, friends, but Jesus, as our creator, as our sustainer, as almighty God, has the authority over our lives. As the passage continues, we see more acts of compassion and authority as Jesus continues to heal expressing his willingness and his power as many are coming, come to him, desiring to be healed, and he heals them. But I'm aware as we look at these amazing stories of Jesus here in Matthew 8, there's one question that might be ringing about in your head. Perhaps you're thinking to yourself, Jesus seems so willing to heal then, but I'm sick Why is he not healing me now? And I think Matthew helps us to understand this question. Jesus' main mission was not to heal people of their leprosy, of their blindness, of their cancer, of their depression. His healing, as he walked among us, was to point to an even greater demonstration of his compassion and his authority. And this is what Matthew points us to in verse 17. He points us to a prophecy, the prophecy that Emma read to us earlier. He says that this, this healing, was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and he carried our diseases. Isaiah 52 and 53 is a promise from God that his servant will come into the world and suffer. And why? Why would Jesus come into this world to suffer? Well, friends, because our greatest problem is not our leprosy. It's not our blindness. It's not our bipolar or our cancer or our depression. No matter how terrible those things are, and they are terrible, terrible things. But friends, the greatest problem we have is a disease that has afflicted us for years and every generation that has walked this planet. Is it a disease that ends in death, that no scientific advancement can ever cure, and it's the disease called sin, and it's a disease that afflicts every single one of us. And Jesus came and suffered, not as he took on that leper's disease, but as he took on the consequences of this most terrible and insidious disease that has infected us all. And all of Jesus' teaching and preaching and healing was marching towards this this event, this event on the cross when Jesus would once for all heal our souls of a disease we could not rid ourselves of. And so we read those beautiful words in Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. 
By his wounds, you have been healed. This is the offer that Jesus presents to us. To take on the punishment of our sin. This is our greatest need. This is your greatest need to have this dealt with. And friends, as we accept in faith the offer of Jesus to heal us of this disease called sin, we can have all confidence that one day he will rid us of every other affliction. Because he has promised that one day he will return and give us a resurrection body, a body that is perfect, a body that is cleansed and rid of all the afflictions that plague you now. And let's face it, we've got many more afflictions to come. If we're well now, all we've got to look forward to is a time when our bodies just continue to decay. And Jesus promises that one day he will come to heal us and we will have bodies free from all diseases and afflictions. Oh, friends in heaven, there will be no more leprosy. There will be no more depression. There will be no more bipolar. There will be no more arthritis. There will be no more cancer. The old will be gone, the new will come. What a God we have who can give us this promise, who can secure for us this forgiveness and this hope for the future. And so, friends, put your faith in Jesus like the centurion today and every day. And you can hope that when he returns, not only will your sin be dealt with, because he is willing and able today to heal you of your sin, but you can also have great confidence that on the day that he returns once and for all, he will, and in authority and in great compassion, heal you of every other affliction. Let me invite you to stand. Please stand. And on the screen, we're going to say together these beautiful words of Psalm 103. It's a psalm of thanksgiving. As together, corporately, we praise God for who he is and his great compassion expressed towards us. Please say together. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Praise be to God.